Welcome to today's ServiceNow Executive Circle UK and I podcast. I'm really pleased that I'm joined today by Simon Cox, Chief Transformation Officer for ServiceNow. Good to see you, Kat. So tell me, Simon, a little bit more about your role at ServiceNow as CTO. So uh, there's a small group of us at ServiceNow who are ex um, from the C-suite of our customers um, who have a passion for ServiceNow and for transformation. And we are here to help our customers on those transformations, connecting them together, sharing stories, experiences, and um, as I say, helping our customers transform with ServiceNow. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, today's um, podcast, we're going to be focusing on customer experience, which obviously with the current cost of living crisis, we're seeing changes and evolutions to that. And organizations are having to adapt to how they engage with customers. But before we get into the nitty gritty, um, our last episode featured our very own Simon Morris, and he had a question to ask you. So his question is, in your opinion, Simon, have customers become much less loyal as a direct result of the cost of living crisis? I definitely owe... Simon a favour then for that one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it is a great question. I think that disloyalty is greater than ever, but also loyalty is greater than ever. And therefore, that kind of middle ground of the apathetic customer is reducing. But I also think um, we talked about the cost of living crisis. I think it's a trend that has been growing for some time. And probably it's the events like the pandemic and the cost of living crisis that they're just force multipliers or accelerators of that trend that was that was already there. They're, they're not the root cause of it. They're the accelerator of it. I mean, obviously, you and I, we're consumers ourselves as well. And we can be a bit fickle, can't we? We yeah. are going to look yeah. for the best deal and things. But equally, when a, an organization or brand does give us that amazing experience or service, you know, I, I do feel more loyal to them, definitely. Absolutely. And I think one of the things we I think we all kind of know, and it's a bit of a cliche to say, but it's true with, with social media, the ability for... Um, those customers to amplify those experiences. So I think the even just the most transactional experiences in the eyes and the ears of customers are amplified for themselves. They're, you know, they're bigger, bigger things when they go wrong. But their ability to then share that experience and amplify it again, to use the word again, is just so easy. It's no longer the four friends in a bar or over dinner that you share the experience with. You can shout it out to the world. Mm. And so how is that impacting organisations? What are they having to do differently um, to combat that? Well, I think if, if I call them the, those transactional moments, um, it's not it's not just we always, always used to talk about moments of truth. I remember when I worked in insurance, we'd always talk about that first notification of loss of the, you know, when you've had a car accident, your house has been burgled, how that moment of truth is when your, your purchase of the insurance policy all, all comes to fruition for you. Um, and a lot of organisations focus on those and they should still. But I think even those transactional moments have become almost as important as those moments of truth. So if you want to get a customer into that holy grail of customer for life and true brand advocate, those transactional moments have to be as important and focused on and as great an experience as those big events. And that's interesting that you talked about experience at the end, because there's definitely that difference between customer service, which probably is more of that transactional moment, to the experience that we can have with with brands and organisations. Um, you know, what differences are you seeing there? I always think for me, um, the phrase when you talk about customer service, it's very much from the word to serve, very uh, one directional. You are served your main course, you are served legal documents, or you have a broadband service. It's very much a one way thing. It's often a single moment, um, whereas experience is a much more joined up journey, often overused word, but throughout all of the interactions with the customer or the employee kind of over a period of time. And although the experience of each process is key 
to the overall whole, um, you need to have the data and the insights across all those processes to be able to provide a holistic experience. And you need to be able to constantly refine um, to be able to have the human element of the execution of the process to notice the customers slightly changing needs and wants through it or the employees changing needs and wants. And if you could highlight those and spot those, then you can start to provide an experience as opposed to a transactional service. Exactly. And you talk about different processes. I mean, I think it's easy to sort of use retail as an example. Mm. I mean, we all talk about omnichannel retail and the multiple different platforms yeah. that are available. A customer may purchase via online, but actually go into store to take it back. They may then want to put a complaint on, you know, on, on social media. So it's trying to like, you know, building all those together to create that overall experience. Yeah, I, um, I don't know if this works and I'd love any of the listeners to come up with three better phrases for it. But I, I kind of put experiences into the three camps and I've called the first one work the second one wow and the third one WTF so that's why (laughs) that's why I need the help on the names Um, there are the experiences that you just expect to work and if they don't then you suddenly have some personal hassle be it I don't know withdrawing some cash from an ATM if you type in your pin you enter the number and the um, cash um, the thing that throws the money out makes the noise but no money appears and you get your car back You've then got a whole process to go through, but you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the times those work. So that those that need to work, you know, have to work. Then you've got the the wow ones. So those are the experiences where the outcome is as you expected, but it arrived in a way that surprised you. Um, you have an insurance claim. I mentioned it earlier. You kind of expect the claim to, claim to be paid, assuming it's a valid uh, claim. But if that turned up in twenty four hours, that would be a, a wow. So the outcome's there, but there's a wow element to it. And then the good old WTF ones, and I mean these in a, in a positive way, but all three can have a negative version, is the experience that wasn't expected at all. Um, let's say you work for an organization, you've been there a year, and you get an email that says, hey, thanks for being with us for a year. Have an extra day of holiday, and here's $100 to take your family out. Now, you might start to hear about it from everyone who'd had one of those before, so you know it's coming. But those sorts of moments where it's a kind of a speed bump of, oh, my goodness, that was not what I was expected. Now, they all sound great when they work, but as I say, if you plan to do those things but get them wrong, then it's better to have not even tried in the first place, in my experience. Mm. So how does a big organisation, the scale of our customers, enterprise organisations, get those different experiences? Because, you know, you say the, the WTF moment, there is a lot in the back end there to get that process working and a lot of data there. How do they get that right? Um, I think it's about focusing on that, the experience being proportional to the customer or the employee's expectations and of benefit to both parties. You, you talked about the retail thing. You you don't want to go into a supermarket and buy a bag of pet food and end up with 15 emails about how was how did you get served today. <laughs> um, it's it's not proportional to the, the experience you had and it's adding hassle to you as a customer. And it's, it's not really a fair exchange of value. You know they're asking you to get data for them or it's not helping you. Maybe if you buy a, a computer and you get a uh, an email that says, would you like to come to one of our surgeries to teach you about the thing? That might be a positive experience. You think, oh, okay, that's that's proportional. That gives me something. You could be an expert computer person who thinks, well, I'm now offended because you thought I didn't know how to use my computer. So you need to be really nuanced in, in, that, in how you deliver those things. So it comes to, I think, it's ultimately driven by data. But you need to add intelligence onto that data to give some insights. If you just drive it by data, you'll end up with the unintended consequences of a clunky or awkward or hassle process for the customer or employee. And and the, the wrong data. I mean, 
you know, I've I've been there where I went in and I've bought a size, certain size nappies for my child. And then I keep getting asked, I want to buy more of them. Well, obviously my child is growing. Yes. So I need to get the next size nappies. And when you get that right level of personalization in the data, it works really, really well. So what should be organizations be thinking about to try and bring in that intelligent data? I think one of the, it is that human element to the process. And this opens up a whole conversation about AI and gen AI um, and how that will help and transform things. But it's... um. Thinking back to the supermarket thing, I can now think of the experience that I, I, I personally don't like in a supermarket. I'm sure some people I know, my mother does like it. But if you're in a supermarket and you're trying to find, I don't know, where are the baked beans? And you go and ask a supermarket employee and they say, oh, they're in aisle 32. I'll walk you there. And every part of me says, please don't. I don't want now an awkward walk with someone I don't know down 32 aisles of a supermarket just to go and get some beans. I, I now know where it is. I'll go and get it. So that experience feels, it feels like they've been trained to do that, but they haven't, back to the read, read the room of, I can kind of tell this person's got his headphones in and he's rushing around the supermarket. He'll probably just go and get it himself. Versus my mother, who would probably love the conversation as she gets walked through the supermarket with a personal service. So the ability of that supermarket employee to make the adjustment to get the same outcome, I now know where the beans are. My mother knows now knows where the beans are, but the, the way in which that process is executed had a human element to it. So building that intelligence in um, the human factor is so, so critical to the overall experience. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about collaborative AI. You know, I know I'm not going to get into a debate today around uh, people's jobs and the use of AI, but it, it, ultimately it's about the human and the technology coming together to provide the best experience possible. Yeah, there's um, one of the main um, online travel agencies, for one of the best way to call them, is using Gen AI to summarise you know, the, the the kind of experience of what that holiday is. But you start to engage and feel, oh, that's that's of use to me. Again, this kind of exchange of value, you're telling me something that's adding to my experience of my purchase of this holiday. So what are you telling customers today? Are they going through their business and their digital transformations? They know they need to get customer experience, customer service right. What are the foundational steps? Where do they start on this journey? I think for those customers who are putting experience at the heart of their digital transformation. Build for great experiences, but also build for what you do when, not if, it, it goes wrong. Because customers who have a, a bad experience that is proactively recognized, remediated, potentially compensated quickly, and with minimal customer hassle or effort, can often end up more loyal than those who had the perfect first-time experience. Now, I'm not suggesting to customers that they should design an experience that purposely fails so they can mediate it and build loyalty, because trust me, if it fails two or three times, then the, the disloyalty comes in. But think about, the look at the experience always from the view of the customer. What does it feel like? What are the speed bumps? What are you going to do when it goes wrong? Um, I always think about a major online um, uh, vendor, <laughs> begins with A, and the experience they have given me, and I think we we talked recently about an experience you had with a different one. Um, I, for me, it was a, it was a hairdryer that we ordered, and within about a week, it, it started. You, know, you didn't want to turn it on in case it set itself on fire. And I contacted them, and the next day, another one arrived. And I didn't have to justify, send any photos. I was trusted, and it was a bit of one of those wow moments. Um, you then start to unpack it and you realise it's probably in their interest. They've they've actually worked out that the cost in the process, it's just cheaper just to send another one. They can see how much I spend with them, the number of parcels that turn up every day at our house. And therefore I haven't I've only done, you know, one issue in a year. So it's all, you know, it's it's, it's low risk. And then you start to realise that now I've got to dispose of the hairdryer and they've actually put the work and effort on me. But there's some very clever ways in which experiences can feel amazing, but actually can take cost out of your organization at the same time. Mm. 
And obviously, this series of podcasts is all focused on those big macro mega trends. And when we are dealing with inflation, when businesses are trying to grow, but equally cost save, doing things like that and looking at the balance between actually, I will give Simon a, a new hairdryer and I can tell that you've styled your hair beautifully today. Um, Thank goodness this is audio only. <laughs> <laughs> um, versus actually, you know, just sending you another one, getting you to send it back, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's really interesting, I think, where organisations can learn. Yeah, I think it, there's an assumption at times that building a great experience is just a cost thing. And, and especially if I talk about building the positive experience and also the potential for the failing of the experience, so building two or three or ten experiences, suddenly feels like your digital transformation has um, gone exponentially up in terms of cost. But actually, if I take that example, um, there's a cost reduction in there, in that experience, um, the failure demand, the remediation of that. There's no work, there's no workflow and effort on the organization. They just sent another one out. Simple solution. So we've talked a lot, we've given quite a few really amazing positive examples of, of mm. how organisations and brands can do it right, but it must be really easy to get it wrong. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the use of data. Um, you know, where do you see that tipping point for organisations? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I think data is, is hugely powerful, as I've talked about, kind of stating the obvious, but it probably is the single easiest thing that can break an experience. Um, yeah, made up example, if you get an email from your supermarket loyalty program that says, hey, I recognize this all you came to our supermarket in XYZ postcode 63 times last year and it was normally between five and seven on a Thursday. Next Thursday, we're offering free coffee and biscuits when you turn up. The, the intended outcome was to have a nice experience for the customer walking to the store. The actual outcome is me thinking, hmm, you track me every time I walk into the store and I'm not happy with that now and it feels too specific. So I think it, it, it can be easily got wrong with the misuse of data or the unintended re reception of data. And we're all so much more aware of the the value of data and actually the, the, you know, the asset that we have in ourselves that is data. So we're much more attuned to spotting those things. You have to be really careful how you use that data nowadays because it is, I think it's the single biggest thing that if you get it wrong, kills an experience. Definitely. And that's probably where we're shifting more toward talking about the intelligence of the data yeah. and the you know collaboration between human and sort of AI to make sure that data is used correctly. Yeah, I, I'm, I worked in banking for much of my career and we always used to talk about the amount of data that we had about customers. You know, they they my bank knows that this morning I got in a taxi from a hotel to come here and I bought a coffee and a coffee chain downstairs as I came in because they've got they, so they kind of know where I am right now. Do they use it? No, because they know that, A, they're not allowed to <laughs> from a regulatory point of view, but more importantly, just the ethical considerations of that. You know, if I thought my bank was using it for those purposes, then I would be changing banks. But equally, to the opposite of that, how frustrated do you get sometimes when you know that somebody or an yeah. organisation has the data about you and then it's not used? And, you know, I, NHS obviously isn't does an amazing job. But again, how many times when you phone up to book an appointment or you go in for your consultation and you know the data exists yeah. you know, about your previous conversations, your previous appointments, yet they don't seem to have that information readily available. And you're thinking, but why? We've had this conversation. Yeah, the, the great thing with any organisation that does this where you you phone up and you go through an IVR process to you know, key in your account number or whatever it is, postcode date of birth, and then you get to speak to someone and they say, oh, hello, Mr. Cox, could you tell me your account number? And you think, <laughs> I've already given you that. <laughs> you know, the fact that you're saying Mr. Cox means you've got it there. Is this for security and you know, confirmation? Or it's Yeah, it, it can be easy to get it wrong and very messy if you don't think through, as, as I spoke earlier about, think through the perception from the customer and the employee and the, the potential negative consequences of how they would feel. 
feels a little bit like organizations are walking a, a very difficult tightrope at the moment of, you know, you go one way or the other way on data and it could be disastrous. And perhaps this is where we need to be talking to our customers more um, and, and giving them that support on using data in the right way. Yeah, it's always is about transparency for me. If an organization, you know, says, hey, we've got your data and we're going to use it for these purposes, are you okay? I can make the choice or I feel like I'm making the choice. Earlier on, you talked about the intersection of both the customer experience and employee experience. Yeah. Um, our next podcast actually is going to be featuring a customer who's been doing a lot of work on the employee experience side of things. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really interesting you, you talk about that because at the end of the day, we're, we're in this age of experience, You're, regardless of being a consumer, a customer or an employee, it's all about experience. What would you ask that customer about the experience they're basically providing their employees? I think my question or challenge to them would be, why are you just talking about the employee experience? Um, why not the customer experience as well? Why not the vendor or supplier experience? You know, all the elements in the the supply chain of the experience need to be looked at. I think it's very hard to find an employee experience that doesn't in some way touch a customer experience. And therefore, if you do them in isolation, it's probably going to be suboptimal. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much, Simon, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, I've loved it. Thanks, Kat. <laughs>